Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. There are few issues about which American Christians are more confused and less consistent than the matter of goodness. I was embarrassingly old by the time I first heard a robust answer to the question, why be good? A man wants his little son to grow up and become a good man. He wants his son to get a good job and marry a good woman. He wants to attend a good church and to believe the doctrines his church espouses. He wants friends, and even if his friends do not attend the same church he does, he wants to say of a certain friend, he believes different things than I do about God, but he is still a good man. He loves God, takes care of his wife, and loves his children. On the occasion of his 10th wedding anniversary, a man enjoys taking his wife out for a good dinner, and when his little daughter begins to cry at having a babysitter and an early bedtime, a man says, be a good girl and run along. We do not like bad men, bad movies, or bad milk. Neither are we uncertain about what makes a man bad, for bad men cheat on their wives, lie to their bosses, steal from the tithe plate, and get drunk on Good Friday, while good men are honest about their faults, courageous in the face of death, courteous to women, and capable of profound generosity. So long as an American Christian is discussing the world casually with his friends, he talks sense on the subject of goodness. My friends, welcome to the first of several in our series on Joshua Gibbs's How to Be Unlucky. Now, Laura, you just opened us with uh, the first chapter or first, excuse me, paragraph or so of the very first chapter. Yes. And how does that strike you? So the setup here is we have a conventional way of thinking about goodness, maybe Mm -hmm. a vague way. Yes, of very thinking vague. about goodness. Um, we know it's not bad. We kind of know what bad is. Like, mm-hmm. don't do these terrible things. Don't be this sort of person. Yeah. Um, but this idea that maybe there's something in our Christianity or in American Christianity that almost has a stopper or, or has trouble thinking past sort of a vagueness about mm-hmm. what it means to be good. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that sort of coming out of that first paragraph or so that first page yeah and even thinking back to i mean this time last year right we would started glittering vices where rebecca Koenig de young um breaks down each vice and how helpful that is um because sometimes we have a general sense that something is bad or something is wrong um and maybe we have some more specific examples of that in our head um and so you kind of need that vocabulary and those categories to put bad things into I think the idea of goodness is even more vague um, because it's just sort of very dependent on on feeling or a frictionless life or um, a lack of conflict. And so it's it's harder to know what goodness is. Um, and we have so many kind of just vague moral platitudes um, in American Christianity that we we assume we're all on the same page and then maybe when push comes to shove we realize we're not um and i mean the really to me the most provocative part of this book so far comes right after what i just read um 
in terms of the complicating factors of when you throw in uh, a dash of theological study into it and how that can even make the discussion of goodness even more confusing. And it's so interesting because, like you said, um, we have this vague impression. It feels like, in my experience, we're pretty good at saying to our children or our students of what it would look like for them, maybe, Mm -hmm. to -hmm. be good and certainly to be bad, and which we don't want them to do. So we tell our children, like, don't lie, right? I I need to be able to trust you, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And we're trying to teach them how to live in the world. We're trying to teach them how to be trustworthy people. Um, But it is sort of like really focused on younger people oftentimes, at least it feels like. And I think the same is true in the church. Yeah. Where Sunday school can be like a total sort of moral behaviorism Mm-hmm. you know school i mean i i know people who've been like i can't <laughs> i can't go back to that church and i was like oh why well, sunday school is just all about like Rules. how to act how to behave how to behave how wow. to behave the fact that they remember is impressive and i mean it's so but i i knew what they were saying it was like the low-hanging fruit yeah in in like children's lives is like disciplining behavior mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and yet when you become an adult I mean, so maybe that plays, maybe it doesn't, depending on the kind of uh, young person you are or were. But as you become an adult, you no longer have uh, Sunday school in that way, right? At least a lot of times. Uh, you're not in environments in which you're in the classroom. Yeah. You don't have teachers in this way. You mm-hmm. you are the person, right? You, you have uh, uh, succeeded to this status, at least, as someone who can no longer be grounded. Someone yeah. who no longer gets in trouble, uh, at least. And no longer has eyes on you. And no, no longer has eyes on you. Um, and so it is a very real experience, I think, for most of us, at least certainly is for me, that as you attain sort of Christian adulthood, it becomes super vague. Like what, okay, so now we just have to try to raise another person up to, to wherever I might be or have survived to be, um, which is wherever, whatever age I am. But there's not like an obvious like moral vision or clear mm-hmm. concrete vision, at least in my experience, of like, oh man, how exciting to see what it looks like to mature and grow in goodness and virtue into your 50s and your 60s and your 70s. It feels like the question around Christians is, was that person saved? Do they right. know the Lord? Right. And what we usually mean by that is, did they accept that Jesus is Lord? Were they baptized? Like, we're kind of like, okay, then that's, then great, you know? Yeah. Like, if we're caring for elderly people, we're like, oh, do they know the Lord? Like, mm-hmm. Were they saved? Like, were mm-hmm. they ever, like, really saved? Yeah. And so we have this, like, language around, like, salvation that is clearly still um, even though there's been a lot of good things written and there's a lot of mature Christian traditions that would push on this, it's clearly still in most of, I think, of our experience or maybe in our, most of our minds. The real question at the end of the day is, does that person believe the right things about God? And yeah. then if they do, okay, you know, then, mm-hmm. then it's fine. Then, mm-hmm. then whatever it is, it's fine. And yeah, maybe grandpa or so-and-so is crankier than, you know, you would have loved <laughs> them to be. But you know what? That's old so-and-so. Yeah, and you yeah. know what? They, they they knew the Lord. They were saved. It's fine. Everything's fine. And it's like, so what does that mean? Like from 25, from 30 to like 90? Yeah. It's just fine because you believed something? Um, yeah. That, that feels like this just 
wasteland or this like <laughs> vague space of it does. people don't talk or write much about what does it look like to grow and mature yeah. in a mm-hmm. good life? And is that something we're even, as you, you pointed out in the early pages, him tackling, is that even something we're trying to do? Yeah. Wanting to do? Feeling yeah. is even doable? Why so bother? Take us, yeah, take us to that moment where he turns to kind of some of the churchy or the theological yeah. or the scriptural language that Oof. we kind of seem to use. Well, it, it gets complicated, right? Because, so I think about uh, this book I, I read for a class by Martin Thornton called Christian Proficiency. Love it. And even those two words together, you're like, you can't be a proficient Christian. <laughs> Tis all by the grace of God. Right. You cannot grow in proficiency. And so, um, but uh, you sort of, as, as you were just describing, there has to be some component of, I mean, there doesn't have to be. See, this is where we get into it. There's, a, there's some component of growth and maturity. Um, and if somebody remains the exact same from the point of conversion at 21 to their death at 80 and they there's no there's no progress that's made in their fight against temptation and there's no that's troublesome but even me saying that feels very legalistic and so that's sort of where gibbs goes in um just on like the second page of this book you know he talks about how, well, the Bible says that all have sinned and none is righteous. Um, and so we're always tainted by selfish motives. And therefore, you know, we don't want to be man pleasers. Um, so like, and so that while things are true and well-intentioned can actually sometimes halt any sort of growth maybe, maybe we're perceiving or, um, I don't know. It's just like we, we have a hard time living in between these two realities, which is that, well, of course, I, I hope to grow in goodness, but also, you know, the Lord's righteousness, not my own. Um, and so if I don't grow in goodness, it's okay because it's not of my own works. And so I, we often feel trapped right in that center, or at least I do. And I can always feel pretty unequipped to talk about it because it's like, you know, if you mess up, there's grace for that. If you mess up, there's grace for that. But then if I'm saying that to you about the same thing for 30 years, uh, there's a sort of a, a canary in a coal mine. And this is what um, one of my spiritual mentors, um, uh, Bishop Scarlett, talks a lot about this and how he was sort of, as a pastor of many years, kind of realizing I'm meeting with the same people every month for years and talking about the same things. Um, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> what's going on? Like, oh, we're still, and not that we ever attain perfection. Um, and some, there are some thorns of the flesh uh, that are going to accompany us for all our life. But see, look, that's that's where you went, right? Like yeah. You've been trying to get through that sentence. Yeah. So how do we live in that space of not expecting perfection and not expecting moral, um, little moralists? But also, golly, I hope, I hope I'm more holy at the end of my life than I am today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... That's the thing. So he's good at pointing out sort of the proof texting we do against our own goodness, right? Right. Like to, you you don't even want to feel, you almost feel guilty for trying to be good because, well, you you don't want to misunderstand the gospel, right? Uh, What do you think, what do you think you're doing over there? 
Are mm-hmm. you trying to save yourself? Yeah. Um, this this confusion about like the Christian life as always needing to protect against um, being good <laughs> um, yeah. is kind of how he's describing it. And you might be like, well, it's not you know true or fair or whatever. But on the popular level, the fact that it is not a big discussion, the fact that there's not a lot of attention about what it looks like to grow in goodness as a mature Christian adult, that you, that there should be the expectation yeah. from a 30-year-old Christian to a 70-year-old Christian of 40 years of growth <laughs> and maturity yeah. and goodness, right? And, uh-huh. and, and just using scriptural language, growth and maturity in what? Faith, hope, love, wisdom, temperance, courage, justice. Like, how could we not expect, why, why is that not on a radar? There must be something to what he's saying about popular sort of American Christian yeah. phrasing or slogans mm-hmm. or, or sort of just, um, you know, little like hangups or default kind of moves that we make. Because it is absolutely the case in my experience that there is not a robust vision of the 30 to 70, <laughs> you know, arc of Christian maturity. In the, in the in the church and i say that as a pastor yeah. who's taught for almost 20 years now um on things about what to be what not to be you know how to avoid sin what what god wants of us but but that strikes me as those opening pages of this first chapter is i think he's completely right about what it feels like um, yeah. that we don't even really know how to have a conversation because we immediately start qualifying it with, well, no one's perfect, right? And and I'm a Wesleyan, so Wesley was like, hey, maybe there will be a day at the end of my life in which I do not sin. Because he was like, if Christ has set us free from the yoke of slavery, which mm-hmm. apparently he has, according to the Bible, yeah. then we do not have to sin anymore. Now, we still... Ooh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We still do, but it doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't yeah. mean that is a guaranteed condition, because... What a lot of Christians speak like is that they are still under the yoke of slavery, that there's nothing, they cannot help but sin. And that's yeah. clearly not what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. It, it clearly is talking about there's a life before Christ, before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in which you were a slave to sin, dead in your trespasses, right? So those things get kind of confused. And well, I think a lot of times we read those verses about like the Christian life, whereas Jesus is like, uh, press on like yeah <laughs> like i have set you free from that slavery right. why are you still in egypt like how how mm-hmm. much of that language of exodus and things like that we're so so kind of comfortable with and then we just kind of keep circling back to well wait a minute no one is righteous no not one and we keep going back to sort of this pre-salvation moment or this yeah. like way of trying to earn something that you now already have by the gift of god so everything seemingly a lot of times it seems gets collapsed into this like the come to Jesus moment of salvation right? Yeah. and justification and sanctification are all collapsed into like the same place. And then, and then in our reformed and our Protestant traditions, we're just so desperate not to get them confused that we basically don't uh, professionalize in sanctification. We professionalize in justification. And so yeah. we just keep talking about, well, wait, 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 you didn't save yourself. But like there's so many other places like in the parables Jesus is like, hey, you have to have the right clothes. You have to <laughs> like there are sheep and goats and that's those, yeah. those depending on like virtue and, and your behavior towards others. And there's all sorts of things. I mean, the book of James, you know, there's all sorts yeah. of things about you cannot be a Christian if you are not like growing in goodness, if you are, don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And yet I feel like 
we don't want to look at that too close because mm-hmm. it would, I don't know if it would make us nervous. Or you could say, mm-hmm. well, I, I had, sometimes I have some of the fruit, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then he covered, you know, and then he forgives me of all my sins. So it's got to be, it's fine. It's got to be fine. Yeah. Gibbs talks about how, um, like an open Bible nearby will spook Christians on the topic. Like if they're, they're, we're sort of talking about goodness and good behavior. And then if a Bible opens, we sort of are, well, you know, um, but we're not, no one's good and no, not one. And um, like, so (laughs) we, we, yeah, we're not quite sure how to drift between these two worlds. um, Or we have made them two worlds, I should say. Um, And we get a little bit lost and we get a little bit scared that we're going to do it wrong. And, um, that we're going to say the wrong thing and we're going to mess up, mess up teaching our kids the gospel um, because we're going to make it about behaviorisms. And, and he even says, like, he says, um, page 13, we castigate man pleasers, condemn selfishness, tell our children that God cannot be pleased, but then tell our children not to behave like animals. Right. For whom? And yeah, we sort of, we're always kind of talking out of, out of two sides here. Um, yeah, God can't be pleased, but be good. Why? Right. Yeah. And I think the, the turn to children or to students, right? That is the most illuminating because we, we speak so differently when it comes to other people, especially young people so differently than we speak to our own souls. A lot of times, right? Yes. I expect, Oh, there has to be this growth. You wouldn't want to be uh, perpetually adolescent, you know, you, you need to mature in these teenage years. You need to be able to right? like, you need to be able to grow in these ways and make difficult decisions and resist those temptations and, and develop in formation, right? Like spiritual formation. And then when I think of like people in their thirties and forties, and it's like, we don't talk <laughs> about yeah. it that much. Like, yeah, it's like, Oh, we assume we've all, we've got it God, all. You made it through the, you know, the, <laughs> the crazy, um, yeah. you know, battalion of the enemy's troops of adolescent sin and temptation. Yeah. And, and we don't know anybody who's fallen to temptation in their thirties, forties or fifties. <laughs> Do we, David? That's just so insane. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it goes against all of our experience, except that I just, we're, there's something about as we get older and you said this, we have no eyes on ourselves. Right. Yeah. And, and when you're a young person, you have teachers and parents always, on mm-hmm. you, always. And, and we can't even convince many Christian adults to regularly attend a church and be accountable, right? Like most yeah. don't even go to church regularly, or if they do, they're certainly not known by their pastors, or there isn't necessarily eyes on their lives mm-hmm. in some kind of way. Because you'd have to actually like make that happen, right? Yeah. You would have to like really voluntarily step into that. <laughs> and no one's making you do that. And yeah. So it really does just disappear when we no longer have to do certain things where people are actually overseeing. But like the language of like a pastor is an overseer, right? A shepherd. Yeah. Someone who oversees your Christian growth and development, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Paul is not writing to non-Christians when he's writing these letters, right? In the New Testament, he's like, okay, here's, he's like overseeing. He's like, okay, you got to get rid of this thing. This is crazy. And then you have to, okay. And what you really need to do is you need to see that this is just about you. This isn't about anyone else. And and that's not, that's not what we want to do. Everything in the letters is about Christian formation (laughs) and growing and maturing. And it's not written to children. No, it's written to the parents, the adults in the room. Uh I was thinking about, um, a friend was telling me recently about, he was on a trip with some friends. Um, and they were up to all hours of the night, just like scrolling on their phones. 
And he had to be sort of like, what are you, like just, you know, the stupid scrolling, the nonsense. What are you doing? Like, this is how you spend like multiple hours every evening? And because they probably are just like alone in their room that nobody ever, like the, the reality of that is never really shown never really comes out. So it's like you just, so you spend from like 11 to 1 a.m. every night just like looking at Instagram and TikTok, like that's what you do. So yeah, we can just hide it because because um, you have a lot of time to yourself or your internal life, especially even, especially the the more internal vices. Nobody could, it, you may be very good at hiding the fact that you're like full of rage. Right, right. Yeah, and because that's the thing, if you can control it, like with your like, you know, fully developed prefrontal cortex, you can like say, okay, well, I'm clearly not going to lose it in front of like adults I respect. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, um, the teens are going to lose it. The teens can only restrain so well. Yeah. They can't yeah, help yeah. it. Right. They're much more honest. Yeah. In that way. And then you find out like at 55, someone is just full of rage and you're like, I didn't know. Yeah. No. And that, that is a great example because it is so easy to control it at certain points when you have a life that is increasingly private and increasingly constructed by you, right? Young people are at that great disadvantage where they have to live a life someone else has constructed for them, right? And yet it turns out that's what the Christian life is supposed to be, right? A life that the Lord has constructed for us, that the Holy Spirit, that the church, right? That all these things are meant to no longer give us this godlike authority or power to hide or to create or to make or shape how people see us and this kind of thing. And yet, for a variety of reasons, but in our adulthood, that simply is no longer required, expected, um, yeah. in almost any quarter, right? This is the debate right now about like people going to church. Most people are not going to church anymore. They're leaving church and some are saying, let's cause church requires nothing of them. Wow. It requires nothing of them. Why would they, it's the same question. Why be good? What's the point? It, so that, you know, I can have certain goods and services. It's just going to take another morning away from me not sleeping. Like what's the point if nothing is required of me by, yeah. by the church, if I don't have to, Right. If you couldn't explain to me why I must submit <laughs> to spiritual authority or direction. Mm-hmm. Right. If you if this is voluntary and, and it sure looks like that with the plethora of churches and yeah. the way that we try to invite people. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's nothing required, then like we all know that it's not necessary. It, we right. all know there's if there's no skin in the game, then we all know we're not going to commit to it. Everybody has learned this over time. There's so many things available. People don't really do things usually unless they pay for them, right? Yeah. Like people will start to charge for things. You're like, why? Why are they charging for that? And it's because <laughs> otherwise people won't show up. They won't do anything if they don't have yeah. any skin in the game. If it's just offered, right? It'll just mm-hmm. be another consumer item on their kind of like buffet table. So the church over the years requiring less and less seeker sensitive trying to meet people where they are and just kind of meet whatever felt needs they have like becomes a place that's completely optional and now people are like oh i'll take you up on that right and it's become utterly optional even for people that i would have grown up thinking oh that's a solid christian um run into them whatever and it's like oh where are you going you know you know always you know well or you know since um since COVID or, you know, um, the kids, you know, we got, we got young kids, you know, you know, it's just, it's just kind of got away from us, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I hear that so often that I know it's sincere. Like I, I they're not like pretending yeah. that's an honest statement. Um, that happens 
zillions of times. Right? Yeah, and nobody from the church noticed we were gone, and nobody called us, and so... It, yeah, it didn't actually seem to matter that much. Yeah. Um, it was a quiet leave, and then uh, there was no real uh, kerfuffle. <laughs> like, could you imagine if the pastor is like on the phone immediately, like, whoa, what's going on? Are you guys okay? Right. You've missed two weeks in a row. You know, <laughs> like, it was just be... But, but the church, we became we began to think of ourselves as really like a community center offering certain yeah. things. And so we're just like delighted if you make it. We've probably, I probably have talked about our friend's church who um, they print out name tags every Sunday for the members for like the, you know, the, they have a full membership process and they print out name tags every Sunday for the members for, so that new people know, can like learn people's names um, and can know like who's a part of the church and who's just visiting and also so that the deacons, if the same name tags are left there week after week after week and they're not being picked up, the deacons know and they can give a call Huge. and be like, we doing okay? Huge. Are you mad at us? Huge. Are you sick? <laughs> are you like, what's going on? You know, and it's, and there's a way to hear that from the American independence that's like, oh my gosh, that's so invasive. Um, I'm free to do what I want. But then also... We have like this loneliness epidemic where people are just dying for somebody to to notice them and care about them and be in community. Um, so there's something about that. I think as a as a leader in church and probably for you as a pastor, where you're like, oh man, attendance sounds amazing. <laughs> Taking attendance <laughs> just to know because sometimes you have those just to know. Just I mean, your house church it'd be a little pretty different obvious, now. Yeah. But even in my church of like hundred, hundred and fifty on a Sunday, you can sometimes look back and go. I haven't seen that person for like three months. Right. Just big enough to get a little lost uh-huh. in who's there and who's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to be pushy and you don't want to, you know, seem clingy, but also maybe, you okay. Maybe you should be. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. We're all so polite that we just allow ourselves and our brothers and sisters not to grow. Yeah. Like we're just so careful with how yeah. people will see that or receive do, that. Do you think it's like, is this whiplash from like the moral therapeutic deism behavior stuff? Like in the same way that mm. like we kind of, uh, people 30 to 45 have whiplash from purity culture. So it's kind of anything yeah, goes. Yeah, yeah. Like, are we kind of in a whiplash moment or is this the persistent Christian experience? I, I, I think there's probably a little whiplash in there because I would imagine for the average person who grew up in a conventional evangelical church, Sunday school was a legalistic moral training. Hmm. I, I mean, every story had a particular moral lesson about how to behave mm-hmm. um, in, in just most of the curriculum was designed that way. Um, I use uh, some things for devotional time with my kids that are older things and, and it's rich and it's beautiful and I have to change it as I go. <laughs> yeah. Because it's super like... God will punish this. And it's like, okay, okay. But like you want to be motivated by knowing God and loving him and, mm-hmm. and not, not just this big disciplinarian thing, right? So I do think the average experience probably growing up in Sunday school or growing up in the church the last several decades in which, in which the moral majority in the church were kind of on the same page. America and everything else needs to be get, get right by behaving right. That definitely is easiest played to kids like that. Yeah. It feels right. Yeah. Um, and it feels normal because it's a part of like, you know, how to be a person training and all this stuff. Right. So I would guess that if people grew up and that was what church was when they were young is, is do this, don't do this. Uh, even if some of those things were true, 
that it really meant something like, if you learn these morals, um, you're good. Mm-hmm. In the sense that like, it doesn't necessarily mean you had an encounter with the living God and you know Jesus and have committed your life to follow him. Mm-hmm. It means, yeah, you know, if you sleep around, like, you know, you might get STDs. Like, you know, things could be yeah. really, uh, really difficult, you know. There's like, no talk of the soul. No, it's just sort of like there is real fallout for like conventional sin. Um, and then the sin that's even more private, it's harder to like explain how that's really bad for you. Right. Right. Cause it most just like, well, you don't want to waste hours of your life. Yeah. <laughs> thinking about what to buy. Um, and they're like, yeah, but like, no, no harm, no foul. Like who's getting hurt by, by what I'm like scrolling through. Right. Right. So, so then I think sins became much more private and internal. Um, so there was a behaviorism for the last few decades, at least, and maybe much more than that, but at least in our experience that I could see someone being in their 30s and 40s and being like, and I've had many people come up to me, recognize me as a pastor and be like, oh, you know what? We were thinking about going back to church. And at least in the couple examples I'm thinking of right now, it had nothing to do with the state of their souls. It had everything to do with, we just had kids and we really feel like they need to be raised with morals. That Mm -hmm. phrase has been used so many times with me. We just had kids, you know, we're thinking it'd be good to go back to church. We want our kids to like grow up with morals. Yeah, we want our kids to know. And the kids just need to like some morals. You know, they just want to be around morals. And I'm like, okay, that's what that is. That that's if that's what that is, right? Church is the place where yeah. young people Get learn trained. morals, mm-hmm. right? And then the grown-ups, what are they doing? They're just hanging out, right? Like, like they're not training, well, right? Yeah, and the number of parents who sort of drop off their kids at stuff, church yeah, stuff, right? You can get a huge attendance for like VBS for parents that would mm-hmm. never go to church. And part of that is like free daycare, but it's also like, oh, it's good morals. Right? Yeah. So there is like a real like thing about church is a place where young people get taught morals, right? And then what do the adults do? Well, they take a break from being with the young people, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's what's <laughs> they nice. They get a minute. That's how you get church growth is you have to have a dynamic children's ministry where people feel excited and comfortable dropping their kids off because their kids report back, this is great and fun and exciting, right? That was how we built church growth m- models for the last 40 years. So we did that. We built a system that said, adults, this is time for you to just like take a breath, which adults need a breath. That sounded good and reasonable. Adults are tired. And your children are going to be well cared for and they're going to learn morals and Bible stories too, to boot, right? Mm. And they're going to come back with cool crafts and all sorts of things, right? Right. This is great. So it becomes like they did with some of these um, gyms. Some of these gyms started offering free, free quote unquote oh, yeah. daycare. YMCA. So I'm thinking of like elite places, like Ooh. expensive places. Yeah. So it's not free. It costs you an expensive gym membership, yeah. but it doubles as, yeah, you could jump on the bike or you could also just drop your kid off mm-hmm. and, and that's your gym membership. It becomes like, Oh, like we're going to be around the gym a lot, <laughs> whether or not I'm doing anything, it doesn't really matter because it's just got this great daycare. Right. So more institutions realize how much pull you can have if you can figure out a healthy way to manage children for people. Right. So if that was the primary strategy or one of the primary strategies for church growth, right. You, what you win them with, you win them too. Right. Uh, Then we taught the adults, that's what that's for. It should be no surprise that young adults without children don't go to church much, right? What would be the point? I'm not there yet. I don't have a family. Yeah. And then when they have kids, they start thinking, you know what? We should probably probably get back to church. Like that sounds like a good thing to do, right? 
So I think all of that is probably a part of, I don't even know if that's whiplash. I think that's also just how the church has presented itself in the attractional models, at least, Yeah. for decades. What's the Eugene Peterson? I think it's Eugene Peterson. Dallas Willard. Mm, I think it's Dallas Willard. The Dallas Willard quote uh, that your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. Right. I, I just butchered that, Dallas. No, I'm so no, sorry. No, that's right. But it's... If you are sort of, yeah, if you're realizing, man, all the people in this church only care about training their kids well. It's like, well, what are you training their kids to be good, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. Um, then, okay, what in our system is, is making that happen? Like, what sort of messages are we sending to them about why we exist as a church? Yeah. One of the most eye-opening, helpful things my pastor has always said um, because he saw like people would go, they would leave a church they were known and committed to because their kids wanted to go to another church, right? Happen oh man. All the time. Sorry. I know this is going to light some people up. Just bear with it and pray later and let God be God. Um, but he would be like the best thing. He said this several times. The best thing for your children is you walking with Jesus faithfully. Yeah. That's Amen. what your children need. They mm-hmm. don't need the best whatever program youth thing. Youth pastor. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, or even the best youth pastor, or the best other. They need you they to They need be. you committed to the Lord and walking with the Lord, dealing with your stuff, like reckoning with your own soul, walking that out. I mean, he said that for years, and, I, and I, as I was watching people like, well, our grandkids are over here, my kids are over here, so we're going to, you know, everyone would make all these moves for every other reason, and usually to do with young people. Um, and yet, like, that big miss is the most important thing for your children is you knowing, loving, and serving Christ yourself better and better, growing in maturity and faithfulness to Jesus yourself. And that is not what we were saying for for the, the general message of churches. Like, I, I the reason it stuck out to me is, like, I never heard that before. Right. Like, you'd always, it would be, like, the low-hanging fruit. My kids, w- w- they will only go to this church. And so, like, we just have to be, we just want them to anywhere. So wherever they're willing to go, even if the teaching is thin and whatever, and it's not, yeah, it doesn't feed me because it's, like, kind of for new believers or it's for whatever, that's fine because they want to be there. And so it's great because my kids or my grandkids will go. So, like, that became like a huge thing where people would sacrifice their growth and they would explicitly say that I could count dozens of times people have explicitly told me I mean the the messages don't feed me you know the words not yeah. it's not strong enough to like actually it's not like for me but that's okay because you know because I'm saved. I mean honestly the implications because I'm saved and and I don't know if my kid is or I want to make sure hmm. my children are or hmm. my grandkids will be. And they, yeah. they need to get saved. They need to get to that, cross that line, right? And I did cross that line. So I'm okay. So yeah, I But I'm sympathetic to that, right? Yeah. Aren't you sympathetic to that? Imagine if, imagine if your <sighs> little buddy my little was buddies. like... Yeah, yeah. Ugh. But see, okay, yeah. No, I am sympathetic. It's a very real thing. It, it just means you gave up on something else, right? Because the conversation... Well, okay, no... If you were prioritizing your walk with Jesus, yeah, th- 
you see, that's the thing. You'd have to really trust like what I'm, what pastor John has always said. You'd have to really trust that. That's like a real surrender to be like, but if I step away from focusing on walking with Jesus closely myself so that I can just bear with my child who is willing to go somewhere. Yeah. You have to really trust the Lord that me walking with you and growing in faithfulness and maturity and love is going to be the best thing long-term for my child and them seeing me doing that in a sincere way, not in a creepy, like this is about me, you know, like it's not like that. Just like, I love that you're excited about that place for our actual growth and things. We, we just want to be under something that is, that is going to actually right. help us. Right? And I suppose to use the language of some of my people, um, like there's, there's a non-anxious parenting happening there, right? A non-anxious presence in parenting. Like, I'm not just going to pivot because you want to, because you are young and you might pivot in two more months again, you know? Right. So I, I, I'm sympathetic to that, but I, um, and can see how that would be a good, but I also, I can't imagine just in talking to parents, I know, going through the conversation of like, what hills do we die on here is a constant negotiation, right? Yeah. But I think, I think you do, this all goes to show, right? That we're willing to, um, ignore maybe our growth in virtue, our pursuit of virtue, uh, for the sake of other things. Like we're willing to, like you said, we, we've crossed this line of salvation and therefore we are good. And, um, we just sort of need to make sure we we're treading water rather than moving forward and running that race. Um, and that seems to be sort of what Gibbs is going to, to get into is that he had no, as a 20, whatever year old, he didn't know how to answer the question. Um, why should I be good? And then he's realizing as he is teaching teenagers, how do I explain to them why they should be good? Um, and that, that is definitely an experience I can relate to, especially when you are saved. There is an element of like the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you have certain desires and certain passions it fosters. And it's often can be difficult to communicate that to somebody who isn't in that place. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be worth adding just because of where our conversation has, has gone. Gibbs grew up going to churches. Mm hmm. And he also went to a classical Christian school. Yep. Okay. So he had, as a young person, the the teaching stuff, mm-hmm. or at least the, the moral stuff. Yeah. Um, and even like the great books and all of like the sophisticated version. I of mean, the what Christian else do you need but the great books? <laughs> your uh, training. Um, he had all that and it was just like, you know, it wasn't like that that didn't happen it was just that that didn't do the work of god encountering and and, mm-hmm. and changing him uh, and maybe it does for some and it was like a huge thing for other kids in that context or even in his classroom right but it it, it does just sort of remind us like all those things that we react or not are anxiously might chase because it maybe this will do it you'll find you often keep chasing the next thing that's supposed to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet, if you as a person could could find a place of, like, okay, I'll use this example. When I went to Ireland, I th- maybe I've said this before, I know I've shared it a bunch of times in other contexts, but when I went to Ireland, um, I had just been called by God to be a pastor. 
Mm-hmm. I got on a plane to do a degree in creative writing and work on a novel. And all of a sudden I was like, why? What am it I doing? It felt like totally, yeah, like the Lord, someone made a mistake in the books, you know. Um, so I had this weird year of being like, I don't know what this is for. Like, it's to write a novel, but now I don't oh, think man. I'm supposed to. So just a whole year. And, I, and I'm and i literally going to, like, fly in. And I don't have a flight out until the year is, like, done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, like, confused. I'm, like, should I be starting seminary? Like, if I'm supposed to be a pastor, what is going on? Okay, so the first thing I discovered was without any oversight, I didn't go to church for three months. Wow. Like, I hit the ground, got excited about the program I was in, met a bunch of interesting people, was crashing on people's couches, was traveling all around, was doing this thing for my scholarship thing that was really fun. Uh, Wake up one day, and I'm like, I haven't even gone to church in three months. How am I supposed to be a pastor? So all of a sudden, (laughs) the the kid who crossed the line, uh, honestly, no memory of not knowing the Lord, crossed the line in the womb, for all I know. Like, no memory. Like, bizarrely, or at least uninterestingly did not cross the line in his waking life in some sense. Always knew the Lord, always felt complete confidence in the Lord in a very strange way. Okay, that kid at 22 was supposed to be a pastor, didn't even go to church for three months because no one was like expecting me, Mm -hmm. asking me, and I'd have to like do some legwork to find one. Right. And all of a sudden I'm like, what am I? And then it became like, okay, this was the year of the Lord like turning myself and my soul inside out and saying, Let's look at this guy because I had been teaching a Bible study. Uh, it was standing room only in an apartment. Right. It was super exciting. People are like, is this a, are we going to, is this a, you know, and I was like, once I have to go to Ireland. I don't know why. The Lord you know, is calling the me. The Lord has called me away. And so I go away for the, I don't know what year. And all of a sudden it was like, yeah, you're getting really scary good at doing church stuff and leading and teaching and pastor light right. um, and being busy about the place and people were stoked on but it. But if nobody's watching, oh my gosh, nobody's no looking, watching, he doesn't go. He's an immature Oof. little boy um, who loves Jesus but doesn't really know what it means to follow Jesus in a mature way, reckoning with my own soul without, without just the expectation all around me that, of course, that's what I'll do. And without any feedback, right? Like, it was mm-hmm. easy to be like, uh, it's a Bible study. People really enjoyed it and they want to come back. Yeah, like and I that. have accountability and I'll be embarrassed if I don't do totally. it. Totally. Social pressure, all the normal things that come into play. So all of a sudden I had this year of why and what am I? And it was not awesome. It was embarrassing. It was all sorts of things. I was like, I think maybe I can't be a pastor if this is where I'm at in my heart and my soul. It was like a huge year of reckoning. And and the, one of the most obvious moments was just realizing, oh my gosh, four months in and I haven't found a church and I wasn't really looking. So yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. So I, I had that wake up. It was like prodigal son wake up stuff. And and it's weird to be a, like a Christian about to be a pastor and think you're the prodigal son. And you're like, what am I doing? But mm-hmm. Gibbs has this moment in the first chapter in which he talks about the prodigal coming to yourself. Like you have like right. this wake up moment where you're like, wait, I have like a self in there that I haven't really been monitoring or been super aware of. And all of a sudden I'm seeing it and uh, whoops, like it's not super impressive or it's not very mature or it's not good. Um, yeah. And, and what am I giving out to other people? And what is that? Yeah. yeah. But I'm like ready to enter ministry and ready to plant <laughs> yeah. the church. I mean, that's what's so scary. So the Lord like saved me and whoever else. Right. By saying like, <laughs> go away, yeah. go away. And you need to wake up to your own self. You need to wake up to your own soul. And so 
a number of things were were like revealed and like I had to deal with and all this stuff in my heart and I was like man I am like vapid and shallow in my faith because this is what I am when no one's watching I'm just like unaccounted for okay the greatest thing that happened wasn't the degree wasn't the terrible chapters I wrote about my novel that'll never be published the can't wait to read it <laughs> Oh, for the I, Patreons. I feel like I read it out loud to Lisa when I was courting her, and I can't believe we're married. Like, I yeah. can't believe she put up with that. Well, you know. It's the most narcissistic. Uh, oh, to be young. Oh, okay, yeah. She had a lot of grace. She's <laughs> Okay, so the best thing that happened in Ireland was nothing that I planned, but it was the discovery, month four, of this little church, Calvary Galway, um, and more specifically, like I was like, oh, sweet, a little church. Mm-hmm. I haven't been around a little church before. Cute. What adorable things. Like, everything's quaint and adorable, including this little church, right? Super, like, whatever, patronizing and, like, folksy. Okay. But what I met there was a family, the Clancy's, and Ray and Rebecca, husband and wife, Ray is a pastor of that church. And what I met there for the first time in their home was deep Christian maturity, which was joy. Oh, it was just lovely. this like it was goodness the children and the parents like enjoyed being together laughed together mm-hmm. the husband and wife loved being together and yes. like you know they're decades they don't have to you know like yeah. it's not like new um and you know i didn't know a lot about this story at the time when i first met him i just was like what is this because it was like this rosy warm glow and yet they weren't naive they deal with all the things, especially as a pastor, dealing with people's yeah. sin and all this stuff. And yet I was in this home and I could feel like, whoa. And I, like Gibbs's language would be like, this was Christian goodness. This yep. was Christian maturity. And I saw it in this marriage and in this family. And I hadn't been around it in that way before. And it did something. I just remember in my heart being like, I want this. I want a marriage like this. I want a family like this where the kids like laugh with their parents like yeah you know like it was so beautiful and I couldn't have told you like exactly what I was seeing but I saw it and I felt it and as I was having this awakening in my own self of what I was and what I wasn't and that crossing the line was not enough for Mm -hmm. a a life right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you have to build on that right right um all of a sudden I saw people who had been building yeah and it wasn't just do the next thing, let's have kids, do the next thing, let's have a promotion, do the next thing. It was like they had been building kindness, patience. Like you, you just saw the fruit of the spirit in a more mature key and it meant joy. And I was just like, once I saw that, I was like, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I'm here not just to be like, oh, what was me? I'm here to see a vision of goodness and of maturity that is beautiful and enticing it isn't more sort of behaviorism well don't mess up because you could really screw this thing up right (laughs) or don't do that because it'll be really embarrassing it was like i want to be like that yeah i want to do that kind of life yeah and that can be so missed if that's the timing of that is makes sense to me because those post-college years right where you're you're sort of faced with maturing into a real community of people right in high school college you're sort of a part of a youth group essentially um and most people you're going to church with are your own age and then i think a lot of healthy growth looks like being a part of a place of people of different 
ages and stages and life experiences and opting into it. Um, because you could still, you could attend a church and never talk to somebody more than five years older than you if you aren't intentional about sort of mixing and mingling and getting out there. Um, in which case, yeah, you kind of, you never get those images of beautiful maturity. Um, and so I think that's a big part of, that was a big part of my twenties for sure is similar experiences as you just described of like meeting people and saying, Oh, like this life you have is attractive. Um, and not in a success way, but in a like, Oh, this is beautiful. And you've gone through really hard things. Um, and you're, you're sticking it out. That's exactly what it was. And I think it, it almost scares me what the Lord allowed me there because how many people, so, you know, if you grow up in Christian land, then when you're in your early 20s, you're either like, I got to get married-ish, or you're like, I got to like volunteer and do something at church, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do now, right? I, I graduated out of the high school, maybe even yeah. the young adult kind of stuff. So, and so for me, it was like, I guess I'm going to teach. I, now I'm going to become a pastor. Like, where's yeah. the gap, right? Uh-huh. Like, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, church land is... is does not lack for opportunities to volunteer and to do the next thing. Yeah. But I am to this day, like terrified and grateful that I wasn't allowed to just do the next thing because I clearly didn't have eyes on my own heart in an honest enough way. I wasn't trying not to, it was just the busyness of doing church ministry stuff Mm -hmm. as the next good thing to do. Um, clearly blinded or did not um encourage um that kind of honest like like looking at myself or having other people uh in that place i had like a good friend who could call things out if they were like obvious and egregious but that right. hidden place of the, the heart, hidden stuff mm-hmm. that was the stuff and it had probably been there for for years and years and years without really being dealt with or, or looked at closely and i'm like terrified that there was like this normal healthy looking track of like committed to the church and then like uh, volunteers and then is like asked to do yeah. a bible study and then that grows and then that's exciting maybe that'll be more than that like so i i wonder and i i i can only assume as you said which is encouraging that the lord is no respecter of persons even or including his grace right um or especially including his grace in the sense that yeah, maybe he had to be more extreme with me because I was like more immature than I could ever have fathomed. But he has to have that kind of same moment of trying to get a hold of people who have crossed the line and, and yeah. become saved at some point. Um, and them actually being able to wake up to themselves and where they're actually at in the interior place of their soul. And, and then the great mercy, as we're both sharing, is not just like the scolding thing. I mean, I was embarrassed. He didn't scold. I, he just like stood back. That was my <laughs> experience. He just stood back and we just like looked at me for a little bit. Uh-huh. And he was like, nice. <laughs> you know, yeah. it wasn't scolding. It was like, how's that going? Oh, shoot. I misjudged myself. Yeah. And I had to just like tell the truth and, and reckon with that. But he had this like vision of a concrete, livable, good life of Christian maturity that I was like, to this day, I'm telling that story. This is almost 20 years later. 
Right. And I told it recently and Lisa and I talked about it afterward and she's like, yeah, I want that joy in our home. Like, right. I want to laugh with our kids because I can be like really serious and like make sure I'm moral behavior, manners, manners, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> so I like, I'll tell the story yeah. and I'll be like, oh, but I'm not there. But I like, I want to be there. That mm-hmm. desire is powerful um, when I actually take that time and like reckon with that. So this chapter opening this text up to us. I hope people will have some space, even if it's just in listening to this, um, to to have a look, have a look at their um, grown up or maybe not quite grown up like Christian heart or mm-hmm. self and and say, man, is there is there more there that the Lord has called me to? Mm-hmm. And I just haven't really been looking or haven't right. really been up to. And sort of holding the two sides of things of like your the Lord delights in you um, you're only human and he will accompany you into maturity. Like he will, he will guide you to a place of maturity and, and, and holding both of those things. Like I'm only human and I'm clothed in Jesus's righteousness and he delights in me. And also maybe growth is possible in certain areas that are driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe, maybe these things, Maybe these things will accompany all my me all my life, but also maybe you won't live this way always. And um, yeah, I've gotten that counsel from a number of people about certain things in my life of like, could you imagine your life differently? And it's like, oh, that's something you kind of have to hand over to the Lord. Like, Lord, give me the imagination of what maturity could look like in this situation. What overcoming this temptation or this sin or this proclivity it, maybe that's possible. Maybe maybe I will actually be more patient in 10 years than I am today yes. with your help, by your grace. Yes. Um, but with my engagement and effort um, in the process. Yeah, commitment. Yeah, and I think that's that's all most people need is like, oh, it's po- like maybe that's possible. Like yeah. maybe that's a good goal. Maybe that's something... You know, we pray and when we read the scripture, we do all the things maybe we feel we're supposed to do or we, we enjoy doing. Maybe it is actually to bring more of the fruit of the spirit in my actual life mm-hmm. um, year upon year at a deeper and deeper level. Um, I just think there's so much there. And I'm just speaking as someone who is and has recently been re-inspired um, to, to want more of yeah. that goodness from the Lord, which he delights to give us, you know, Mm -hmm. and call us into. So my friends, chapter one uh, of how to be unlucky. Um, Thank you for joining us for this conversation. I hope it stirs some reflections and I hope uh, that you have people to talk about with these things um, because man, I just can't do it alone. It's just really, it's <laughs> really, really hard alone. So, yep. um, yeah, um, our, our hope is that this will be a fruitful uh, little series through this book. If you haven't picked it up, uh, go ahead and do that if you can. And you can read it along or listen along with us. Um, and we will, we will join you for our second installment of this series on how to be unlucky. Thank you, Laura, for helping guide us through this opening chapter. My pleasure.